your host Trevor Kritz and joining me today is medical doctor Dr. Zach Bush. Hi there, good to have be on with you guys. Appreciate you having me here. So I'm really excited to get you on Dr. Bush. Um, I've been following you for hello, a while. Hello. For people who have not heard of you before, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you go to medical school? What got you interested in medicine in the first place? Things like that. Yeah, uh, very much inside the box, allopathic medicine doc. Historically, I was trained at the University of Colorado uh, and went into a subspecialty training after my MD at University of Virginia and spent uh, nine years there in academia. I finished subspecialties in internal medicine, went on to a faculty year called chief resident year, taught uh, med students residents and furthered my uh, pursuit of research, started getting into cancer research interest by the end of that year, and then went into a fellowship training in endocrinology and metabolism, which is the study of hormones, and also metabolism being the mitochondria and how they regulate human health and cancer and all the rest. So I uh, found myself in a really nice niche uh, and was growing pretty interesting chemotherapy development sector uh, using vitamin A compounds, kind of a nutritional approach to thinking through the chemotherapy journey and instead of trying to kill cells, is trying to inform cells to turn on cell suicide uh, so that the immune system doesn't have to participate in an inflammatory fashion to solve the cancer problem. So that was my area of niche. I uh, got some interesting grants, got some movement, and then suddenly the crash of 2008 to 2010 happened with our economy. National Institute of Health lost a bunch of funding. Our university lost funding that had been present since 1969. So just to give you a sense of the the catastrophic injury that happened to academic medicine at that time. Uh, our our division of endocrinology was ranked number three in the world when went from 75 full-time faculty down to 25 uh, over the course of the next those two years. So really devastating losses in academic medicine at that time. Um, I, by the by 2010, it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to practice the kind of medicine I wanted to, which was much more uh, you know nutritionally based uh, minded thing. So I left academia in 2010, start my own nutrition center in rural Virginia. And uh, over the last eight years, a bunch of stuff has sprung out of that. And by 2012, we had made some pretty interesting discoveries on uh, the microbial contributions to soil health and how those molecules could participate in the human health story. And kind of since then, I've done a lot of work from big, big medicine all the way down to big farming and agriculture and the collision of those two worlds and science uh, sectors and how they've kind of colluded to, to create this massive collapse of human health that we've witnessed over the last 20 years. So I've uh, become kind of a traveling educator throughout the world to everybody from doctors to farmers on how we can start to address these uh, really seismic changes that had happened in our nutritional industry to make us so vulnerable as a human species, bring us to the brink of extinction and uh, really give us the, you know, the opportunity to take a pause for all of you listening, you guys are used to really pushing the envelope on human physiology. And that's, you know, everything from uh, lean muscle mass all the way to performance factors, your VO2 max with your heart uh, rate or your heart cardiac output, uh, that kind of thing. I hope a lot of you are tracking things like your um, heart rate variability as a, a sign of kind of biologic youth, because a lot of the heavy protein diets and everything else that you're using in the bodybuilding environment are actually pretty damaging to your biologic age. And so we want to make sure that you're keeping an eye on that and learning how to balance nutrition. And a lot of that comes down to uh, maintaining a healthy gut, which is actually very poorly defined in the industry as to what is healthy gut mean. It certainly is not probiotics. And we can go into some details on that. Um, but uh, ultimately, you know, you guys are pushing the envelope of human health and, you know, we can go into kind of where are your vulnerabilities now lie as you're trying to reach those goals and what are the, the, the practical tools you can put in place to kind of try to move yourself forward there. Before, can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, before we get into that, because we definitely want to spend the most of the show that I just have to address first these antibiotics and these drugs that are out there because um, how much of a factor are those in destroying our gut health? Because, uh, you know, 
we've all used them, unfortunately, because our parents took us to the doctor and the doctor gave it to us and we, you know, we didn't know any better. So how much of a factor has that been? Huge piece of the puzzle uh, when you look at the historical kind of adopt adoption of our belief of the safety of these things comes down to that physician prescription behavior. Certainly in North America, it's pretty disgusting how many prescriptions we pump out every year. In the U.S., uh, Canada's right pretty much with us here, but we're at 833 prescriptions of antibiotics for every 1,000 man, woman, and child per year, 833 for every 1,000. So 83% of the population is likely to get exposed in some shape or form uh, to an antibiotic over the course of the year from their physicians. That equates in the U.S. to about uh, 8 million pounds of antibiotics consumed uh, directly. That kind of pales in comparison to the amount of antibiotics that you see in your food chain in regard to the antibiotics that are given to poultry, pork, and beef. And so that, uh, that accounts for somewhere around 30 million pounds in the United States. So some five times more coming out of the ag environment directly given to the cattle and, and uh, protein industries. And so all of you who are pushing the envelope on protein, keep in mind you're wiping out your gut flora with the residuals of those antibiotics in that meat and everything else. So organic, 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 grass raised as much as possible. Get Know your farmer, uh, participate in a cow share, whatever you need to do to get real food back in your body again, because the amount of damage we do is extraordinary. Um, so that's you know 30 million pounds there compared to the 8 million. All of that pales in comparison to 300 million pounds of a very potent antibiotic called glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, the famous weed killer that North America and now the rest of the world is steeped in. Uh, worldwide, we use over 5 billion pounds of Roundup a year now. That number roughly doubles every six years. And so we've got this extraordinary usage of antibiotic in our environment that is many logarithms higher than the doctors are prescribing being given out through your farming industry. And unfortunately, that glyphosate turns out to be a water-soluble antibiotic, water-soluble toxin that travels in the entire water ecosystem. And so in our agriculture environments, you'll find 75% of our air and 75% of our rainfall contaminated with Roundup. And so we were literally being rained on with antibiotic, we're breathing antibiotic, we're eating antibiotic, and then we get sick and we go to the doctor and they give us antibiotics. And so, you know, it would be impossible to underestimate or understate the insane impact this has had, because even if you're not getting directly exposed to antibiotics, everybody around you is becoming deficient in microbiome, and we're becoming deficient because our, we are ultimately just a very direct extension of the nature around us. And so as the ecosystem collapses in your soils and air and the rest, you lose the ability to re-diversify and re-grab your, your biodiversity. And so you're becoming narrower and narrower in spectrum regard to your microbiome every year that passes. So Dr. Zach, the first question I have for you is that according to my knowledge, the reason glyphosate is so toxic is because your body recognizes it as the glycine molecule and then it stores it in our own collagen. Is that correct? That's unproven. Uh, that, that is a theory that was put out there by Stephanie Seneff from MIT. She's just one of the most brilliant uh, scientists that I know, but interestingly, she's a computer scientist and AI expert and has never worked in a microbiology lab. And that's hampered her ability to finish out this, these theories that she has. Uh, our lab is very eager to continue to partner with her. We really would like to prove that out because uh, we feel like we're seeing symptoms of that under the microscope as far as this amino acid transfer phenomenon happening. Uh, but the smoking gun's not there yet. So we'll try to work over the next couple of years to prove that out. Um, but what we've worked on really is what is the direct toxicity, uh, you know, before you get into protein misfolding and everything else, what's the direct injury to the human system and the food chain uh, from this glyphosate molecule? I guess my question for you, Dr. Zach, was that we can't get rid of this. Even if you're eating organic, it's getting rained on you. You're inhaling it. So what I was thinking is, theoretically, if you supplemented with glycine, could that help your body detoxify it? Or any supplement, is there any supplement we can use to actually detoxify our bodies of this? Because we're going to consume it. Even if we eat everything organic, we're going to get it no matter what. Yeah, that's exactly what we've been working on. And so um, we've been working on the role of the microbiome in detoxing this chemical. And we got lucky because before I ever knew about this whole story of glyphosate, we 
found the molecules made by bacteria and fungi that I was developing for cancer, uh, ended up putting that into uh, a bunch of humans for safety and clinical trial stuff and found that we were getting all of these unexpected benefits that we had no idea how that was happening. And over time, we found out that what we had found is that Mother Nature has already planted the antidote to uh, the Roundup molecules in the healthy soils uh, of the past. And so we're using fossil soils that are 60 million years old to, to pull out these vastly diverse uh, chemical families that are made by bacteria and fungi uh, that combat the glyphosate molecule and, and it's a direct effects on the human biology. Uh, we now are in very large scale trials with cattle up in Canada. Uh, we're moving to poultry and, and the pork industry because these animals like the humans are becoming profoundly ill and are passing that stressed out meat onto the consumer through the protein industry. And so we're really working not just in humans, but on these large scale agricultural environments to improve uh, the gut function and reduce the gut permeability of these animals and humans by supporting the microbiome. We've really proved out that the microbiome communication network is what prevents that direct damage to the barrier systems from the Roundup molecule in our food and water systems. And it's pretty potent. We, that antidote effect, we've seen yeah, 20,000 times the amount that you would see in water and food systems. Uh, the microbiome still protects against that with enough support. So uh, really cool that Mother Nature would have such a robust solution to such a stupid mistake that we've made as humans that's currently killing our rivers and our oceans and everything else. With a little bit of support back, I think we're going to find out that uh, Mother Nature's got the extraordinary capacity for healing for, for all of us. I got one more question. I'll let Steve jump in. So that that soil you're talking about is that the same thing as humic and fulvic acids, or is that something different? Yeah, those are soil extracts, also from fossil soil. Uh, Shilajit is probably the oldest extract from fossil soil. Very rich mineral content. Looks like white chalk, uh, kind of yellowish sometimes. And that shilajit is a very very dense uh, mineral uh, supplement. And uh, the humic acid, smaller molecule now. Uh, looks more like a uh, kind of molasses type color in an aqueous solution. Um, and that humic acid is very oxidative. Fulvic acid, uh, more the color of tea. Uh, that's, that's got smaller molecules, more mobile across cell membranes now and less mineral content. Um, all of those happen to be very oxidative. And so when we started working on soil extracts, we knew we were gonna have to figure out how to reduce the oxidative stress that's caused by the compounds themselves. Because uh, the mineral content, uh, because it's so oxidative in something like shilajit or humic acids, you can actually see demineralization of teeth, bone, and that kind of thing from long-term use because you're, you're so oxidative. You're doing uh, damage by tearing electrons off the surface of everything uh, as the molecules flow by. So uh, the, the wor work that we're doing with terahydrite, which instead of trying to pull minerals and amino acids out of the soil, we're working with very... Uh, large, uh, diverse families, these carbon molecules, and those carbon molecules are in a, a balanced redox state, which means there's an equal number of hydrogen and oxygen bonds ready to release or absorb an electron at any given moment so that there's no oxidative stress. Once you reach that redox state, no longer are you trying to do something to the body. In the case of humic, fulvics, and, and shilajit, you're trying to force mineral pathways into the body. You're trying to macromanage your, your mineral transfers through the body. In contrast, the aqueous solutions we're working with are so trace in their, their delivery of any nutrient, and instead they're amplifying any electron signal coming out of a local cell. So the way in which these carbon molecules work is instead of trying to deliver nutrients and nutrition to the body directly, they're trying to instead function as the wireless communication network from one cell to another cell. And that could be a bacteria, uh, sitting in your gut to the gut lining, or it could be two intestinal epithelial cells, or it could be an intestinal cell talking to a liver cell. All of the communication through these, you know, kind of seemingly disparate or distant tissues is coordinated through this liquid circuit board of all these carbon molecules made by the bacteria and fungi. So we're working with that liquid circuit board to go into the tissue. And our goal is to make sure that our quality control always shows that it's not doing anything directly to the cells. Instead, it's helping the cells here. Oh, I need to upregulate my glutathione production for antioxidant reservoir. I need to upregulate my DPP4 enzymes to, to block the leaky gut phenomena. I need to upregulate my production of the ZO1 protein for the tight junction Velcro to, to get that gut permeability corrected. You know, all these different th things start happening 
once we get that carbon environment completely neutral. We're trying to do nothing but amplify the, the message that's already coming out of your intrinsic human health, human cellular uh, effort towards that health thing. So really a, a radical shift from our current state of belief system and, and mindset of supplementation. Stop trying to overwhelm a cellular pathway and simply give back the communication network so that the body can return to its innate intelligence. So, so you kind of at the beginning kind of summed this up. This is our first uh, question here from uh, one of our members. He wants to know as he, as he gets older, he seems to have more gut issues. You kind of got into it at the start, but is that something that, you know, kind of turning this question around, is that something maybe our grandparents didn't have to deal with as much as we will when we become their age? So as we get older, are we going to have more problems than our grandparents had at, at, in, in our 60s and 70s? And our grandchildren, are they even going to be worse? Because from what you're saying at the start, it's pretty scary with all the crap, you know, out there that's being, uh, you know, distributed around, you know, in the world and, and crap in our foods and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my, both my great grandparents lived to over a hundred. So my great grandmother on my uh, dad's side lived to 101. My great grandfather lived to a hundred and just a few days short of 101. And, uh, these, you know, great grandparents never complained a day in their life of bloating or irritable bowel syndrome or problems like this. So I, I really don't believe that the aging process has to elicit this. I think that what we're seeing now, you know, you know, fast forward to the 2020 kind of time frame, regardless of your age, you're now 80% of the population identifying a gut problem. So it doesn't matter on your age anymore. In fact, our children are most affected uh, by this. The, the, the rates of irritable bowel syndrome, constipation syndromes, all this are unprecedented in human history in children under the age of 10. So uh, it's really hitting everybody now. Why is that happening every decade worse? because of the, the, the decimation of the microbiome. Uh, we've now killed 40% of biodiversity on the planet in the last 50 years. And so we're almost halfway done with the sixth grade extinction on the planet. We are on track to finish that extinction process in the next 60 to 70 years. And so if we don't change course radically as a human species, we will be one of those species that is currently blinking out every 20 minutes. We lose a, a species to extinction every 20 minutes now. And so in this short podcast, we'll lose two or three species uh, that probably a couple of those at least have gone unnamed and unrecognized before they even go extinct. And so the, you can't, again, it, it's unfathomable of what we're doing to the planet right now. We are all complicit in this, I believe, because of our lifestyles, the way in which we consume products, the way in which we consume plastics, the way in which we demand and continue to consume chemically grown foods, processed foods, all of, lot, all of this like. So uh, we're really all complicit in this mission. And it'd be a waste of time to sit here and be a whistleblower on Monsanto and their Roundup chemical or now Bayer and their Liberty Link chemicals they're spraying. Yeah, you know, this is all just you know finger pointing. When in reality, we we created them, and so we can easily take them down by simply eating, you know, no-till, biodynamically grown, organic foods that are regenerative ag, from stem to stern. Now we heal the planet very quickly, and we start to be able to participate in co-creation instead of unilateral destruction. So, Dr. Zach, I'm going to kind of address the elephant in the room. So, this being a health and fitness podcast. I think a lot of our listeners have heard about glyphosate, have heard about antibiotics in livestock, and I guess they feel like my goal is to look as good naked as possible. I don't really give a crap about the environment and things like that. Can you talk about how glyphosate, how these antibiotics, how all these, everything we're doing is actually going to be affecting your physique indirectly? Absolutely. Yeah. It's direct and indirect. So direct screw up in your physique is going to be lack of nutrient density in the foods that you're consuming. And so glyphosate, the Roundup chemical has the ability to directly block the shikimate pathway, which is an enzyme pathway in your food and in the soils in which your food is growing that allows you to make the essential amino acids. Uh, all of you are very aware of the amino acids and we need to get them from our food, etc. So the essential amino acids, phenylalanine, tyrosine, tryptophan, 5-HTP, and the like, all of those guys are made by the bacteria, the fungi, and some of the plants that we consume. And we need them because we can't make them on our own. Now, most of the amino acids we can make, but those nine essential amino acids, we can't make them because we don't have the shikimate pathway. 
that pathway directly affected by Roundup. And so as you consume non-organic foods and organic foods that are now being rained on and, and contaminated, we start to experience a nutrient density that's dropping most rapidly in these essential amino acids and importantly, the alkaloids, which are the uh, antioxidants and other medicinals that are in your food also being blocked. And so your ability to build a physique is now requiring really big effort. Now, many of you are supplementing protein powders and the like in that process of trying to bulk the muscle. Well, it turns out that that's exactly what we're doing to cattle in the feedlots is we're overfeeding them in an effort to, to force feed the, the protein into the muscle uh, to get them there. What we know in the cattle and in racehorses and any other animal that's carrying a thousand pounds of lean muscle on them, those animals uh, get sick if you give them too much protein. And they get acidic, they start to lose immune function. And you know we see this in the bodybuilding uh, environment a lot that you, know, you have a shorter lifespan if you're a bodybuilder. And that's been the case for a hundred years. And so the, the power packing of protein is profoundly acidifying whether you're a cow or a human. So how can we impact that? Well, it turns out that with the microbiome becoming intelligent and getting an intact micromembrane again with that barrier system of your gut becoming intelligent, good Velcro tight junctions to hold the system together, we improve feed efficiency. And so what happens is we put these compounds into our big cattle trials or into humans is we see a reduction in the amount of volume of food that's needed by six to 10% less food. And so the cows suddenly will leave six to 10% of their food sitting in the trough at the end of the day. That's never been seen. Uh, you know, up until this, these studies, you give animals food, they're gonna eat it until the trough is empty. These ruminants will have the four pouch, you know, stomach kind of things in, in the gut that are now churning that food around. The more intelligent you get the gut membrane, the less food they need in there to gain more weight than, than their counterparts. And the weight is healthy. It's, it's not the fat that you get by stressing an animal, it's lean muscle. So if you're going for muscle, you want to look good naked, I would say you want the healthiest gut membrane on the planet, especially to reduce the protein stress that you're putting on yourself where you're trying to force feed that protein past a damaged, inflamed, and stressed out gut. All of the bodybuilders that I take care of are, have severe leaky gut. They have way too much acidification going on. They have extreme amounts of fat storage going on around the liver, which gives them kind of a protuberance or a bulge at the upper abdomen there where their liver's you know, starting to push out on the rib cage and everything else. Uh, because of this fat pad that's forming underneath the ribs. And so you get this kind of bloated top of the belly thing. They might have rip looking out, but they'll just have this like bulge right at the top of their gut instead of the usual beer belly down around the belt line. And so you look at your own physique. If you've got that, you know you've got leaky gut, you know you've got an inflammatory uh, situation around the liver, you're starting to pack fat cells where they shouldn't be, you're at a very high risk for cardiovascular uh, consequences there. So back off the protein, bring it back down in some sort of reasonable range, improve the health of the gut, and you can build lean muscle for the right reasons rather than trying to force feed it. You give us kind of a layout of improving the gut. Like one of the things for me, um, I always, when I have clients come to me, it's so funny because a lot of them eat six to eight times a day and they all complain. They're like, oh, I, I only have one or two bowel movements a day and I feel bloated, like you were saying, all every, every symptom that you mentioned, you know, they yeah. have. And I ask them, I'm like, well, you're eating six to eight times a day and you're drinking protein powder twice a day and you're only shitting once or twice a day. Do you not see the uh, issue there? And I tell them, look, I eat two or three times a day and I shit two or three times a day. I don't have any stomach issues. I don't take enzymes. I don't take fiber. I don't take any of this shit. And you're sitting there telling me that you have to eat meat four or five times a day because some meathead on, on YouTube wrote you out a diet plan and has you eating chicken, rice, and broccoli and chicken and, you know, <laughs> every meal, yeah. it's like a protein. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> these people that are listening to this, I, I'm trying to explain this to people. When I tell them this, they kind of just like, don't want to believe it. And uh, can you kind of educate them a little bit uh, as to uh, that you don't have to do that to build muscle? Yeah, no, it has no correlation to muscle, really. In the end, you're just stressing yourself out. And so you're stressing your neurologic system. You're stressing the, the pH of the system. You're getting too acidic throughout uh, the whole thing by constant meat eating. Uh, what I would say is lean meat a few times a week is probably the maximum that would be reasonable to be taking in. 
Um, I'm a big fan of the once a week pattern. And so only eat fish or meat once a week, the rest of it, you, you want low density proteins where there's a ton of fiber and complex carbohydrates, which are going to carry all the, the complex micronutrients that your, your muscle needs. And so a huge fan of that. If you don't know Rich Roll, I think he is, uh, you know, has pretty much written the Bible on plant-based nutrition for extreme health. He was on the cover of Time Magazine as the fittest man in the world. He ran five Ironman back-to-back in a single week in Hawaii um, some years ago to end up there on the cover of Time. So you, he's just a machine at the physical level. And uh, he and his wife, who's a really advanced nutritionist, have done some beautiful cookbooks and brilliant uh things but uh it's a great podcast to track on if you want to you know see it in action that you can do extreme uh, health without all that protein loading um the other thing that you need to do is you need to give your your gut a freaking break and so less protein more complex carbs more healthy fats from the nuts seeds legumes that kind of thing huge fan of mushrooms as a protein source mushrooms are have extraordinary diversity of protein have some of the highest density of protein huge fan of the brussels sprout uh, the Brussels sprouts have actually uh, calorie for calorie more uh, protein content than steak does. And so uh, Brussels sprouts are powerhouse for good protein delivery, but they are far less dense. So you have to eat a lot more volume uh, to get get that protein, but you're going to get, uh, the, for the calorie load, you're going to get a high protein content with this beautiful mix of, of nutrients on the other side. Yeah, men who will start eating Brussels sprouts twice a week have a 45% reduction in prostate cancer, which is one of the leading causes of cancer that we see in bodybuilders and the like. And so you want to think about uh, getting a healthier protein source into your diet like that. Um, the other thing uh, that you need to do now is give your gut a break. You mentioned you know five or six times eating a day. That is always the wrong answer for health and longevity. Um, you can, if you're grazing on a few nuts and seeds and all that throughout the day, no problem. Your body can deal with that all day long. But where you get into a problem is if you're loading these meals with high-density proteins like your meats three times a day, you're going to feel like crap inevitably because, like you said, there's no way you can crap frequently enough to get that process through. We did the studies at the University of Virginia tracking in healthy young males, 18 to 20 years old, um, the uh, different diets through the small intestine. And a meat diet, especially if there's any dairy in there, is going to take 14 hours or more to cross the small intestine alone. So if you ate you know, a mid-morning or early morning protein load, it's not going to clear until 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock that night. And here you are loading another bunch of chicken into your diet at lunch. Now ramming that in, by dinner time, you're loading protein for the fifth time. And you now have got you know, five meals traveling through the, the, the small volume of your small intestine and you have to feel bloated you have to feel uh you know abdominal discomfort heartburn all of the rest you're also going to have extreme brain fog in that situation your concentration is going to suck your sleep quality that night's going to suck you're going to have insomnia your sex drive is going to go to zero you know it's just devastating for the overall endocrine system as you continue to stress the gut on that level so give your gut a friggin break 18 hour fast huge huge good idea um, if you if you you all must be Dave Asprey fans, I would think at this point. But the biohacker community that's really pushed the envelope on the the idea of intermittent fasting, I love. Um, the key is don't do that every day of your life. It, you have diminishing returns very quickly. And so if you're an intermittent fast, I'm a big fan of like four days a week, or a week on and a week off, or some pattern like that. You need to give your body a break from the ketosis that's induced by the the intermittent fasting. And uh, that's going to allow you to stay in that kind of high insulin usage, really efficient, you know, glycemic control at the bloodstream and blood-brain barrier and the rest. So intermittent fasting, shift it up back to a grazing pattern where you're two, two good-sized meals a day with lots of snacking on healthy uh, uh, sources throughout the day mixed in there. So those would be some of the guidelines I would throw out there. Dr. Zach, so for some of our bigger guests, like some of our listeners who are, let's say, you know, 250 pounds, 300 pounds, carrying an extreme level of muscularity, if they want to implement some of these things you're saying, you know, intermittent fasting, consuming less meals per day, how would they be able to get their calorie requirement? Would you recommend maybe supplementing with like MCT oil? Would they just be eating more pork per meal? How would they get around that? 
Yeah. So again, you don't need the same calorie intake if you use it efficiently. And so we use Restore all the time in our extreme athletes. Restore is a liquid dietary supplement. You take it orally before your meals four or five times a day is fine, but at least three times a day is your goal. And uh, you take that beforehand to maximize the efficiency of your microbiome to deliver those nutrients through a non-acidic gut so that that protein has the opportunity to be organified, broken down into amino acid components if needed, and ultimately delivered to the bloodstream to get into your muscle more effectively. And so you need less to do more is the big message here. If you're feeling like you have to eat 4,000 to 9,000 calories a day, it's because you're, you're trying to push a bunch of nutrient and food past an acidic gut at this point. You're force feeding an overwhelmed immune system. You're literally in a food fight against the own, your own caloric load at that point. So back off, find your thresholds. If your gut doesn't feel well, change it. You've got to keep changing until you find happy gut. You know what a happy gut feels. You just may not be able to remember it. But when it comes back, you're going to know it. You're going to be so relieved when you can go through a full day with never feeling like you have to belch and you're not having a bunch of gas and you're not having bloating and you're not having abdominal pain, you nausea intermittently. All of those symptoms relieve. You need to keep shifting things up, keep backing off, give your immune system a break until that time. Uh, the Hobbs twins have done a good job online. They're a couple of, like you say, 250 to 300 pound lean muscle monsters, and they're all on intermittent fasting, much lower caloric intake than they used to be on and everything else, and they've markedly improved their performance. I very much encourage all of you to keep a performance uh, clause within your definition of uh, wellness, because if you're just defining your your targets by mass and volume, and you're just trying to get these huge muscles, and you give up on performance, you've lost your biologic assay, you're going to die young. Uh, and so you've you got to keep performance in there. Performance is a great marker, and performance is not how much mu- weight can you, you know, lift in a, in a 30 second period. Performance has to do with heart rate variability. Keep that as your number one thing. It's pretty cheap to get a heart rate variability monitor. If your heart rate variability makes you look like an 80-year-old, you're 80 years old, and you're likely to die the mortality of an 80-year-old, which would be some form of heart disease or cancer or some process therein. And so shift it up and get younger by changing up your exercise patterns, your nutrition patterns, so you get back that that physical performance that's going to lead to longevity. So, Dr. Zach, I've got one more question. I'll let Steve jump in. So, leaky gut is something I'm sure a lot of our listeners are suffering from. And it's also something that's all over social media. I mean, if you go on Instagram, it's so, uh, leaky gut, leaky gut, leaky gut. You go to your supplement store, there's a million products trying to sell you if you have leaky gut. What are some things that would actually work? I mean, you hear probiotics, you hear bone broth, you hear apple cider vinegar. What are some of your favorites? Yep, um, definitely not probiotics. Probiotics are a real devastation to, to your gut health. Uh, a great article was just published in Cell, which is one of the most rigorous science uh, journals on the planet. Uh, September of 2018, it was published showing that probiotics actually are you know, nigh on to an antibiotic in their ability to suppress biodiversity in your gut. Uh, after a two-week course of antibiotics, they, tried, they let, randomized uh, the subjects first in mice and then in humans to either fecal transplant with their own stool uh, that had been collected before uh, the antibiotic exposure or in probiotic or nothing at all. And over and over again, the fecal transplant, of course, returns its normal microbial state very quickly within about three weeks. But within four weeks, even if you've done no fecal transplant, you're back to normal. So if you do nothing, within four weeks, 30 days, everybody was back to normal. The mice, the humans, et cetera, were looking fantastic. If they were put on a probiotic, even at six months, they hadn't recovered normal normal flora. And so probiotics are, are unfortunately devastating on biodiversity in the gut and therefore recovery from something like an antibiotic. The reason why that is, is because you're, you have billions of copies of the same three species or five species within that probiotic. And so you're literally planting a, a monoculture uh, of crop in your gut when you take a probiotic every day. Think of the corn and soybean that covers most of the United States and Canada. In the case of Canada, you're actually more like canola and alfalfa and some of these other ones. But you're, we're used to seeing these you know, millions of acres or I mean, hundreds and thousands of square miles covered in these monocrops. Everybody can look at that and be like, that is not what nature does. That is a completely unnatural approach to trying to do plant life on earth. 
And in the same way, if we keep taking 35 to 50 billion copies of the same five species all day long, every day, we're certainly going to lose the millions of other species that are supposed to be in your gut. And it's literally millions, 30 to 40,000 species of bacteria, 5 million species of fungi out there. We should just be like these walking, you know, encyclopedias of life on Earth as our microbiome connects back to nature. And we've just lost all that. We've become so disconnected from that greater ecosystem and become so vulnerable with the immune system and beyond. One, one quick thing I'm gonna jump in. So are you saying don't take probiotics at all? Are you saying use a lower dose probiotic, cycle your probiotics, don't use the same probiotic back to back? You're just saying they're unnecessary. You need to stop them. They're doing as much harm as anything else out there. So probiotics need to stop. If you're taking a probiotic, I would not take it more than once a week. You have to give your gut plenty of time to recover from that overload. Um, so I, at this point, you know, the only rationale that existed as of September of, of 2018 to taking a probiotic was right after an antibiotic exposure. Now we know that even then, uh, it may be worst of all then, to take a probiotic is a disaster. So. We've got to stop this probiotic usage. Um, if you take it one day, three days at the most, you know, mix it up uh, with you know, the vast majority of your time away from that, that monoculture of the probiotic. After that, you mentioned a few other things. You mentioned things like bone broth. That's fine. Uh, you know, the studies with bone broth take a lot of time and it's hit or miss. So we got six to 12 months of you know, bone broth in autistic children, for example. You know, maybe 15 to 30 percent of them will have a good benefit. Well, that's plenty a reason to give it a shot, uh, but uh, you know, listen to your body, decide if it's working for you or not, not necessarily just be ascribed to it because somebody told you you should. Listen to your body, is it working, is it not? Um, you know, I think as far as we know, the best science in, on the planet right now for reversing uh, gut permeability is stimulating the body's own ability to make those proteins that are the Velcro that hold your gut lining and then your blood-brain barrier and kidney tubules together tight junctions. ZO1 protein is the primary constituent therein. And we've shown again and again that the bacteria and fungi in their communication network, um, either in a healthy gut or if you have a damaged gut, then something like Restore, which is pulling the, those out of fossil soils, put those in the gut. We see almost immediate, within five minutes, uh, you're, you're increasing the synthesis of those proteins. Within six days, you're getting some of the highest levels of, of uh, tight junction performance that we've ever seen in the lab. So very effective way to reverse that in, in hours or days rather than the months that are typically there. Uh, so we use Restore heavily in clinics across the, the, the world, over 1,600 clinics now around the world, uh, using that product as a front line uh, for gut health. Uh, other things that we uh, usually will put in tandem with that is magnesium. You really want frequent uh, transit time on the gut lining. And if you are magnesium deficient, you sl get a sluggish small intestine and colon movement and you'll get back up and you'll get you know, some of that irritable bowel, the bloating and everything else. So a huge fan of magnesium. Uh, the Natural Calm is one example of a brand, but uh, another one would be uh, something like magnesium citrates and uh, the magnesium gluconate. These are good ones out there uh, to go after to make sure that you're having those frequent bowel movements, keep the motility going in the gut. Um, other things out there, you mentioned apple cider vinegar. I'm a huge fan of Bragg's apple cider vinegar. It has an indirect function on uh, a number of uh, things around gut health. Um, it does have some bacteria in that specific brand. Bragg's uh, organic apple cider vinegar has a few species of bacteria in there um, out of the many that it is. It's, that's a wild ferment in, in Bragg's. So you get uh, thousands of species instead of the three species that you would see in a probiotic. So I'm a big fan of, you know, teaspoon or a tablespoon of Bragg's apple cider vinegar, unfiltered. Uh, throw that into your water every morning to get the day going, and that'll help reduce the amount of toxin in the gut. Those bacteria and Bragg's can digest things like glyphosate and other uh, chemicals from your food chain. So start that in your gut, get, get that as your front line of defense, and, and then start your eating pattern for the day. We see, um, if you ever watch like old sitcoms or something, not that I, I like those, but you'll see uh, every other commercial is a fiber supplement. Like they're pitching those to old people. And if you ask anyone who has leaky gut or Crohn's, you can actually really hurt yourself taking fiber. So uh, fiber is one of those things pushed heavily, like Metamucil or whatever. <laughs> it's like every old person has to carry that around with them. Yay yeah. or nay on that? Uh, magnesium all day long in that situation. You, you the issue with taking a bunch of fiber when you have a dysfunctional gut is you're going to pull water out of your body. So you're going to dehydrate yourself ultimately if you're just taking a bunch of fiber 
and not really getting at the root cause of the problem. Um, speaking of roots, though, I'm a huge fan of using food to get that going. And so the root vegetables like your uh, beets, your uh, daikon radish, turnips, these are phenomenal things for digestion. Those big insoluble fibers, insoluble fibers in those root vegetables can be profound healer of the gut uh, and the microbiome uh, that's therein. So uh, use the root vegetables as a good tool. Certainly, you're going to get way more diversity of nutrient and fibers than you would from something like the metamucil you mentioned or something like that. And now over the counter that I think is damaging uh, children and adults across the world is Miralax. It's a very common one used for constipation. Do not take Miralax under any situations. Take magnesium, take your, get your healthy diet, decrease the amount of protein in your diet, completely avoid dairy. If everybody would just stop consuming dairy, we would eliminate so much of the problem that we see with digestive issues. Really interesting. It sounds like at the end of the day, people don't want the reality. And the reality is, especially with the 20-something crowd, because the 20-something crowd is always after taking, I got to take something. I got this wrong, man. I got to take something. You know, I can't, I can't go to the bathroom. I got to take something. Everyone I know is like that. At the end of the day, it sounds like your own body should heal itself. Just give your body a break. Give like fast for food. like fucking three days. Just don't eat anything for three days. Just drink water. I love it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the three to five day fast. It's a very powerful way yeah. to get get your system reset. I mean, it's like people don't want to hear that though. They just want to keep stuffing themselves because I'm going to lose muscle if I don't eat for three or five days. And you don't. You lose water out of the muscle, but you don't lose muscle. No, you don't. I did it. I did a 19 day fast. I did not lose muscle. I lost water out of my muscle, yep. but I didn't lose muscle. So, yeah, you'll burn fat, you'll burn all the glycogen out of your liver, you'll, you'll be losing weight for a lot of good reasons. And most of all, you're resetting your immune system that's stressed out, overwhelmed, you're radically killing cancer cells. By day five of the fast, you're doing something called autophagy, which is uh, the macrophage starts sweeping up the whole body of damaged cells, including the precancerous and cancer cells. So huge, huge benefits to those water fasts for sure. So I have one more question, um, kind of touching based on what Trevor said earlier. Basically, he was asking about bodybuilders, um, you know, talking to a bodybuilder about this who doesn't care about the environment, doesn't care what they're putting in their body, et cetera, how it harmed them. But how do you talk to your father-in-law at a Thanksgiving dinner who is one of those people who are just like, ah, we're not affecting the environment. You know, who cares if I eat, you know, sausage and, and you know, uh, you know, meat from Walmart. Why do I, I don't need grass fed meat. I don't need the, you know, how do you talk to someone like that? Cause talking to a bodybuilder, you can always get them with, yeah, yeah. It's going to harm your body. It's going to affect your muscles later on. It's going to affect this. And they're going to think, Oh my God, I can't do that. But like talking to someone like your father-in-law who doesn't give a fuck, who has a big gut, how do you kind of convince them? Because if we don't convince them, you know, that's a huge part of middle America are those types of people, you know? Yeah. So how can we really, really get to them? Sex is best. Um, you know, going after sexual function is a, a great tool there. And so um, they probably actually really do give a fuck. They would love to be able to do that again. And so I, I think that, you know, going after that issue, but that big beer belly and, and the I don't care kind of philosophy, that's a defense mechanism to somebody who has got, knows they have severe dysfunction because they're having real struggles with sexual function, both in the urge as well as the function uh, with the erection and everything else. And so, you know, that's, that's the last, you know, hurdle, I think, is, is if, if they really think that nothing matters, be like, well, you totally happy with your sexual function? And if they say yes, they're lying to you, and they've just decided to stay in denial, in which case I don't waste another breath or another word on that person. I move on because, um, you know, people will get themselves in an attitude and, you know, I'm totally, totally willing to outlive them. And I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll choose the, the healthy course for myself and my children. And I'm uh, happy to see that, that generation get out of the way for these next generations to find a different relationship with nature to see if we can avoid the great extinction that's heading our way. So um, that attitude is certainly what's driven us to this extinction process. Um, that the cluelessness of our, our legislators and our, our doctors and our farmers, like, we are just in a collective state of complete denial about what's going on. We can see all the damage from space. You don't even have to enter Earth's atmosphere to, to take a look. You know, some alien happens to fly by, they're gonna be like, what the hell is that species thinking? Because you can see from space that we're killing our oceans out every river. You can see from space that we have dead zones the size of New Jersey at the end of the Mississippi River. And, uh, you know, 
rivers out of Brazil and everything else. Like we are just annihilating planet Earth, and uh, our devastation has gotten so vast that you can spot it from you know hundreds of thousands of miles away out there in space. And, uh, and this little blue marble is the only one we got. And uh, Elon Musk and a, and a few others, Jeff Bezos with his new space center he's building in in West Texas. Like let's let that be a warning to you. Your billionaires that you guys have created through your behavior online, well, guess what we created? We created people who have enough money to say, you know, the only way off this, this situation of extinction is get off the planet. And so everybody with a billion dollars these days seems to be in the space race for private aircraft to get them to another planet. So, uh, you know, take a warning from that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're at or nearing the end. You don't care about yourself and you want to eat sausage. Well, do you want your grandkids to have a future? Do you want your grandkids to have a planet to inherit? Wake up and look at them. 46% of those children under the age 12 now have a chronic disease. 46% have a chronic disease. How do you feel about that? You don't think there's a problem? Uh, take a look at autism. One in 30 children with autism. One in eight with attention deficit hyperactivity. One in four can't breathe because they have asthma. You know, and so, you know, I have short attention span, short patience for somebody who's at that level of denial. I'll give them a couple of you know, tidbits, food for thought, and then don't get emotional about it. Try to avoid, you know, the frustration, emotion that'll just drive them further into their defensive crouch and just be like, well, love you, love you, dad. And uh, sorry, you, you and I aren't connecting on this level because I think it's important for the future of my children. And I would love for you to grow old enough to see my children. And I'd love that to, to be a multi-generational experience. But if you want to check out, I get it. Um, we're not going to cry too hard when you're on the other side. Dr. Zach, I'd love to hear what your diet looks like. What does your diet look like? What do you feed your children? How old are your children? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners now are thinking like, okay, I, I do need to make some changes, but if they have young children, you know, getting a five-year-old to eat Brussels sprouts might not be the easiest thing. Oh yeah, that's a great question. So my kids are now uh, in the easy, easy category. My, my son's 20, my daughter's 18. Um, they actually helped develop a plant-based diet in our home by the when my daughter was eight, she watched Food Inc. and that was it. Like she never wanted to touch another piece of meat because she saw what the devastation was, just the humanitarian crisis on the treatment of those animals. And that was enough for her. So we went from a mostly vegetarian environment to 100% vegan kind of environment back in uh, 2008, some 10 years ago. And so my kids really grew up in that environment of a plant-based diet. Um, we all enjoy it. We all feel good about both its impact on our own bodies as well as the impact on the greater environment around us. If you have a kid that's refusing to eat vegetables, it's simply because you've never grown vegetables with that kid. And so grow a mint plant in the window or grow a tomato plant in the garden. Let that kid participate in growing things and they'll absolutely start eating uh, the stuff they grow. It's very fun to be involved with, with your own food chain like that and stimulating to the senses. And so teach a kid to, to taste what a fresh piece of mint tastes like. Uh, what a fresh tomato tastes like, you know, just give them that experience and you're going to create you know, one of the most important educational experiences that kiddo will have. So how do I eat? I eat plant-based, always from the lowest part of the food chain I can find. Um, if you're going to eat meat, eat low on the food chain. So in the world of fish, for example, you're going to eat like small white fish, something like uh, stream cut trout, something like that. Don't eat salmon. Salmon is a freaking disaster for the cardiovascular system. And so salmon and tuna and all these big fish that you're consuming are profoundly acidic. L-carnitine is the main protein in, in the, the salmon, same L-carnitine in beef. Uh, all, both of them are extremely inflammatory for the vascular system, which is ironic because we put L-carnitine into all these cardiovascular supplements, which is uh, totally erroneous. We do that because there's L-carnitine protein structure in the, the meat of our heart muscle and vascular muscle. And so we think, oh, must be good for the heart. No, it's very acidic to, to get through the gut and the liver with that protein. And so let the body make the L-carnitine it needs. Don't, don't force it through the, the, through the liver pathway through your digestion. Um, so small white fish, a uh, good way to go if you're, if you're convinced you need some animal flesh in your diet there. Um, so, that, you know, those are some examples of how I eat. Um, I think, you know, it's a journey that everybody's going to take. I find that the only thing that's more, you know, ridiculous to try to talk about than politics and religion is food. We have these you know, rabid belief systems about our food that we eat and what our parents did and what we did and what Dave Asprey does and you know, all these things. And we get these rabid belief systems going and we forget to listen to our body. You guys mentioned that, you know, all your listeners are reporting, you know, all of them are bloating and, 
have irritable bowel syndrome, nausea and constipation and diarrheal spells and, you know, you know, squirts and everything else that listen to your freaking body. Like, you, you know, if you're going to be a bodybuilder, you got to listen first, you know, if you want health and you're going to ignore your body's input into that journey, you're just buying a bunch of crap from GNC, man. That's just, you're like completely down the wrong angle. And so you're, you're giving your money away to people who have zero science behind the products that, that you're taking. Uh, they're using other people's science and extrapolating. And they're saying, oh, yeah, this lab over here showed that CoQ10 does such and such. And so our supplement has CoQ10 in it. That has absolutely no bearing on that product for you. There's no proof that that thing is safe or efficacious. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's 6,000 times the RDA or whatever it is. Like, you got to really focus in on what is your body telling you and did nature really design the nutrient pathway like that? And the answer is typically no. Nature really intended for you to be engaged, just like a, a racehorse that's got 1,200 pounds of lean muscle on it and can work itself into extreme levels of output by eating small amounts of protein. If you take a racehorse over 12 or 16% protein, they started going into early kidney failure. Every one of my bodybuilders comes in with stage three chronic kidney disease, no matter what their age is, because they're damaging their kidney tubules so severely with all the protein overmass. I don't care if you're a human or a racehorse, too much protein is going to undermine your kidney function, undermine your muscles uh, as far as their, their uh, exercise capacity and recovery time. You're going to hurt yourself. I think it's like Tom Brady, he eats a very similar diet of what, what you actually just said. He's what, 41, 42. And he's, uh, you know, still playing at an amazing level. And you have these other guys that are so talented coming out of college. They last like two or three years and then they just go downhill because yep. they admit they eat pretty badly. They eat McDonald's, they eat cereal. And, yep. uh, and then like, it takes them like a year to flame out. It's amazing what you put in your body. So important. So it really yeah. does make it different. I think people need to wake up, but it's hard to fight, you know, like you said, the billions of dollars. Like when we first started this podcast, God bless Trevor. I mean, he's a very smart guy, but we had an argument for like the whole episode about whey protein powder. Trevor was adamant. You have to have protein, whey protein powder, Steve. You will not build muscle without it. And I told Trevor, I'm like, dude, 20 years I've been lifting weights. I never once touched the protein powder. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It yeah. doesn't build muscle. But it's like you're fighting. Now Trevor's kind of turned around. Now Trevor is like, ah, you know, Steve, you're right. So it's kind of like because he grew up seeing the magazines and stuff, and to him, you have to have it because Ronnie Coleman drinks it, according to what he says. So it's yeah. like marketing works beautifully, and it's hard to fight that. So. I'm really glad that you came on to kind of dispel these myths for sure. Yeah, go after nature, man. That's it's exciting to to feel good, um, and you know, it's you're you're going to decide just like everybody on the planet right now needs to decide: a) are we in in it for the long game for humanity, or are we just going to be selfish about the way we we destroy the planet around us and the cons overconsumption of our bodies, uh, or are you know, do I want a hundred years with my family, or am I good with dying out when I'm in my 50s from a big MI, is that a good way to go? And I, I've got to say, I, I was just eating in Chicago, big uh, you know, nutrition uh, event happening, paleo and all this stuff being pushed there. And I'm talking to this massive bodybuilder next to me at dinner. He's like three times my human size. Like he just like dwarfs the, the concept. And I was halfway through the meal and he finally started to talk, ask me what I was, what I, what I do and why I was there. Um, but he spent the, you know, it didn't even dawn on him to talk, ask a simple question like that for the first couple of hours. He didn't even know I was a doctor. Uh, and he spent that whole first hour talking to me about all of his protein powders and all of the supplements he's on and how he's spending 40 grand a year on his supplements and, you know, just all of this stuff. And then, you know, I basically quietly just told him at the end that I make my lifestyle and business uh, to educate people not to do what you're doing. It's shortening your life and it's having a huge negative impact on the planet. And he's turned right to me and said, I absolutely agree with you and I'm not going to change my behavior because I would much rather live 10, 20 years shorter and look as good as I do. I, I'm not going to change a guy's mind like that. He's, he is thrown in his dice. He he's, seems to know the, the stakes at what he's doing. He's going to live shorter. He's going to have a bigger negative impact on the planet. And he's good with that. He's compared those cards. And so I don't expect to be able to change anybody's mind. I'm just there to see if I can be part of the solution for humanity.
Well, what changed my mind, I was a power lifter. I was pretty similar to what you said. What changed my mind, three to four herniated disc and a torn rotator cuff. Can't lift, can't lift heavy anymore. This was at 35 years old. Can't lift heavy anymore. So I had to forcefully change the way I eat. I used to be one of those people that ate eight times a day and ate meat six times a day. My gut was tore up. So this was a blessing. What happened yeah. to me? I totally changed my health. Uh, my body fat went from, you know, 14, 15% down to six, seven, eight percent Just like completely different. I can sleep now yeah. eight, nine hours a night. No problem. I used to have trouble sleeping. Like everything changed. Cholesterol down, everything. So sometimes, you know, that guy, he's going to have one day, you know, there's going to be something that forces him to change. So yeah. the body yeah, has a way to punish you. Yeah. You're spot on with the, the, the football story there. Like, you know, how, how does Tom Brady make it? He cares intensely for what he puts into his – he's so OCD on what he's putting into his body all the time. And so do you want to be a two-year football player or bodybuilder or do you want to be a 30-year successful athlete and, uh, you know, make up your mind uh, what, what direction you want to go? Uh, it's a real bummer when you decide you're going to devote your life to your physique uh, to see that physique blow up on you and then be left with what? You've got, you know, a damaged brain from all the protein stress you put on it. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, poor neuromuscular function and with all of the, the, the arthritic damage you've done on the body. Uh, it's, not, it's not an easy go when you, you've got a highly damaged body. You know, it's a long haul out of that. And so it'd be one thing if you just blinked out and had a pain, painless heart attack when you were 48. But unfortunately, that's not the pattern. Usually it's, you know, a couple decades of pain suffering with less and less free range of motion, less and less function uh, while you do that decline. So I agree with you. You know, it's, are we in it for the long ball? Are we in it for the short ball? And how do you want to feel in the German? Just for the record, I absolutely hate whey protein. When you take that concentrate of a protein in a single sitting, it just destroys your gut. If you do a food sensitivity test, I'd say 99.9% .9 of people score sky high for whey protein. I mean, 100% agree. Good quality grass-fed whey protein. You want to use maybe 20 grams of it once a week. I mean, that's okay. But guys are doing like two or three shakes every single day, seven days a week. And the problem is it's cheap and it tastes good. So like yeah. I, I get I get where they're coming from because I mean you can go buy this huge tub of stuff, cost you like fifty bucks. Uh, it tastes pretty nice, but it's just absolutely destroying your gut. Absolutely damaging the immune system. Slowing down your muscle recovery after every workout is going to slow down with that whey protein. You're going to be far more prone to, to exercise damage and, and severe injury with that scenario for sure. So, I mean, re real quick, though, while we're on that, what should you do after a workout? So this is another argument I have with people because everyone thinks that they should go slam a shake. But I tell people, like, if you work out, you should probably rest afterwards. That's probably the best way to recover your muscles. So what... Like, what is the strategy after a workout to, to recover? In your Hydrate life? like crazy. You, that's the most important time for hydration. And so you've got all this, you know, nitrogen compounds that are breaking down the muscle now. You've got damaged cells that are inducing a T-cell inflammatory response. Across the board, you're getting all of this demand for work on the body and immune system after intense workout like that. So you got to back off, give yourself rests. Certainly eating right then doesn't fuel the muscle. That's total BS that, you know, you got... An hour after workout, you have to start eating to replenish your, your protein in the muscle. No, it, it takes way longer than that. You know, you're looking at, you know, a couple hours just to get the material across, you know, the small bowel to begin with. Uh, then you're going to start integrating that through liver pathways and everything else. You're not there to, like, do this acute management of nutrient deficiency. You have so much sugar packed in your liver. Uh, when you go work out, you're simply going to just use that sugar through through glycogenolysis and breakdown of, the, of those pre-existing sugar. You're not even going to touch fat or protein as a fuel source uh, for 18 hours after that. You know, and you've got three days worth of sugar stored in your liver at any given moment unless you're doing intermittent or long-term fasting. So uh, you've got so much sugar there that you know, I totally agree with you. The best thing after a workout, especially if you feel like you pushed it past a physiologic threshold and need to do some uh, muscle recovery, some exercise recovery, then hydrate very well get some electrolytes in there. I'm a big fan of sea salt in the water. It's just a basic hydration tool. And so, you know, get that hydration going after the workout. Make sure you're, you're not peeing clear. You want to be peeing some yellow. You want to be making sure you're scrubbing those cells out. If you're peeing clear, you're just drinking too much free water and you're not getting uh, the electrolyte balance in there. I cannot stand Gatorade or any of the power drinks out there. They're 
just loaded with crap. And so simple reverse osmosis, clean water with some Celtic sea salt in the mix and you're good to go. Um, so make your own sports uh, rehydration process rather than depending on what's on the shelf. Dr. Zach, finish up the podcast, tell us a little bit about Restore and how you recommend taking it. You sold me, I'm going to buy a bottle, I'm going to try it. Um, how would you recommend it? Um, just say for like a 200 pound male, just, just as a, a, an example case. Sure. Has less to do with your, your total lean muscle mass initially, right? You know, at the beginning, it's going to depend on how screwed up is your gut. The more screwed up your gut is, the more it works and so and the more effective it is, which means you can be quite sensitive to it. So with a really messed up gut, you might be down at a few drops under the tongue or a quarter teaspoon a few times a day. Really small usage. You can put it in your water. You can just take it straight up. It's a liquid supplement either way. So if you feel like you're just one of these classic, completely screwed up guts, start the intermittent fasting, start the restore a few times a day, low usage, and then every week or so, every few days, you can double the use until you're up to the, your goal, which is a teaspoon three to five times a day. Um, and if you have any other kind of uh, issues that you're trying to address, if you have a chronic inflammatory state that you're trying to do and things like that, you need to support the, the antioxidant system more aggressively. Restore doesn't have any antioxidant in it, and it, it instead supports the normal manufacturing of glutathione and other compounds from your gut lining, from the liver, and beyond. And so that's where you, you might kind of keep ratcheting up your usage. Got a lot of athletes, the triathletes will typically be, especially if they have any asthma or other exercise-induced inflammatory states like that, they'll be needing to support the glutathione much more aggressively. So they'll be up around three tablespoons a few times a day, uh, something like that. So anywhere from that, three teaspoons to three tablespoons is your typical pattern. But occasionally you'll find situations like that where you'll be at a few tablespoons a few times a day and really going through a lot of it. But in general, you're going to get a great bang for the buck at a teaspoon a few times a day. Really messed up gut, start slower. So how can our listeners, a lot of us are, a lot of our listeners are listening to this right now, driving or they're at the gym right now. They want to learn more about you. They want to learn more about the stuff that you've been saying in this. How can they find more information about you and the stuff you're saying? Uh, yeah, my website's uh, educational website is just my name, ZachBushMD.com. Um, that'll get you a lot of the you know podcasts and other informational stuff I've got out there. I've got thousands of hours of YouTube lectures on the relationship between human physiology and uh, our farming industry and all of that on YouTube. Uh, type in my name, you find me all over. Um, if you uh, want the the product itself, it's going to be at the website Restore the Number Four Life dot com. Restore for Life dot com. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, restore dietary supplement will pop up uh, and go after that. Huge piece that we didn't talk about was the nasal sinuses or the beginning of your gut. If you have post nasal drainage and congestion nasally, uh, you're going to screw up your gut with that. And it'll be post nasal drainage all night long, poorly acidified stomach, you're going to end up with small bowel overgrowth and bloating and junk from that. So sinus care is key. And so the sinus spray is cheap. It's like 14 bucks and keep you going and keep refilling that sinus spray bottle with your, your big uh, bulk. 32-ounce uh, bottle that you get for your oral use. Uh, so uh, make that cheap upgrade and include the nasal spray, take care of those sinuses, decrease the junk, and breathe clear. For our listeners, I will have all of those links in the show notes so you guys can check those out. Definitely check out some of Zach Bush's stuff on YouTube. It's really, really interesting. We were only able to scratch the surface in the 60-minute podcast, but he's definitely someone I've looked up to and someone I've followed for a while. For your host, Trevor Kuritzen, for my co-host, Steve Smee, and for our special guest, medical doctor, Zach Bush. This has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look good doing it. Thanks for listening.